Does this sound like your church budget process at the end of the year? You get last year's budget and go through with a committee line by line, maybe what we should spend next year. Maybe you have a prayer. But where's the word of God in this process? When do the people hear what the small catechism says about giving and why we do it? Contact us at LCMS Stewardship so that we can help you fix this process, put the word of God first, and put your congregation on a good fitting. LCMS.org slash stewardship. We suffer from this age of safetyism. We are caught up in a culture that idolizes being safe at all costs. And, and with that comes a selfishness. The left has essentially declared that only a wanted child is an image of dei child. Only a wanted child is a child that's made in the image of God. And, and if you're not desired, then you don't have any intrinsic value. And to say that whatever the major total obstacle is that they're facing, whatever hardship, to say that God has nothing to do with it, then sets sin or this fallen world as though it were its own God. It's absolutely true that the Bible norms the church's creeds, but these summaries of faith tell us precisely what the church believes the Bible is saying. Amateur home improvers in Italy love issues, etc. Well, the headline says that all donations to Catholic parishes steady post-pandemic, but by far fewer donors. It's talking there in the Washington Post about a steady giving in Roman Catholic parishes, based on a massive study, by the way, and yet fewer people in church giving more to keep that donation stream steady. Does that transfer to non-Catholic churches? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. live on this Friday afternoon, February the 10th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be talking about this Washington Post story on donations to Catholic parishes post-pandemic with Pastor Heath Curtis, Coordinator of Stewardship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Dr. David Reardon of the Charlotte Rozier Institute joins us to discuss a new study on coerced abortions and the after effects. And then Pastor Chris Roseborough, Fighting for the Faith is here for This Week in Pop Christianity. We will be talking about a movie, Come Out in Jesus' Name. It's about casting demons out of, well, Christians. Pastor Heath Curtis is pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Warden, Illinois, and Zion Lutheran Church in Carpenter, Illinois. He's coordinator of stewardship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Heath, welcome back. Always good to be with you, Todd. Tell us about the Washington Post story, donations to Catholic parishes, steady post-pandemic, but by far fewer donors. Yeah, so... First of all, the title of the article references Roman Catholic parishes, and that's because a group of people having to get really good data on Catholic parishes because they're all using the same church management software. About one-third of the 17,000 Catholic parishes in America use the same management software, and so they were able to get good data, put it together. But the researchers also note, and, and certainly what we see in the Missouri Synod agrees with this, is that all Christian denominations are pretty much in the same place, the same patterns of attendance and giving pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, and now post-pandemic. There don't seem to be any denominations that are really doing something different. This seems to be a, a big trend that has to do with just life in America more than it does with what your particular denomination teaches on particular doctrinal topics. So it's a great article to read if you're a Lutheran or a Presbyterian or anything else, 
because it almost certainly mirrors what's going on in your own denomination. What was your reaction to the post story? A lack of surprise. Yeah, this, uh, I mean, it's always good to get hard data to verify kind of what you're seeing anecdotally. But from Pew numbers that came out now almost a year ago, we know that religious attendance in general after the pandemic is down. So two thirds of people are back to their pre-pandemic habits. Maybe three quarters of people are back to their pre-pandemic attendance. As I go around doing my stewardship workshops around our synod, I think the Missouri Synod is more like three quarters or maybe four fifths of our people are back post-pandemic. So this means people who were, if you're basically an every Sunday attender, you're, you're back to that. If you were a once a month attender, you're back to that. But we only got about three quarters to four fifths of those people back. If your congregation is seeing attendance at or above 2019 levels, good for you, because most places are seeing attendance again at about three quarters to four fifths. But what this article noted, and again, I, I think it comports with what I see around our synod, but the people who are back, they're very faithful, they're like godly people, they believe in the ministry and mission of their individual congregation. So while we're dealing with maybe 20 to 25% fewer people, those people have dug deeper as far as financially supporting the ministry. So most ministries are, their funding level is still about what it was uh, before the pandemic, even though their attendance is maybe not what it was. So how generally would you describe the pandemic effect on congregational life? Yeah, I, I think it is stem to stern. Again, there are going to be outliers. There are going to be congregations who, for whatever host of local reasons, are just doing great post-pandemic. But the pandemic accelerated cultural trends we were already seeing. In 2018, CNN did a really great layout of the religious landscape in America. And this was when the mainstream media really started noting the rise in the nuns, the people with no religion. You, you guys have done many shows on, on this trend going back many years. And in this 2018 layout that CNN did, they noted that in 2018, that the rise of the nuns was such that 23% of the population in America is Roman Catholic, 23% are Bible-believing Protestants, like Missouri Synod, Southern Baptist, Presbyterian Church in America. That group of people is 23%, and 23% of America is no religion. The mainstream churches, of course, just fading away to nothing. They're down to like 11% of the population. Well, I think COVID, I think the best way to explain this data is simply accelerated that trend. Now, through that trend, another thing we saw was that the number of Americans who are really serious about their faith so serious Christians, people who are every Sunday attenders, who define their life around their faith, who find their identity chiefly in, I am a Christian, I am a Lutheran, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Catholic. Those people remain pretty steady at somewhere around, you know, 35 or 40% of Americans are like really into their faith. That number remains steady. So what we're seeing is 
and it brings me no joy to say it, we're seeing the extinguishing of the smoldering wick. We're seeing the breaking of the bruised reed. We're seeing those Christians who were tangentially related to the faith. The, the stereotypical Catholic or Lutheran that goes to church three or four times a year on the big holidays, but by golly, they're always going to make sure their kids got confirmed. The Baptist who got baptized when he was 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, and then, of course, I'm a Baptist, takes off his hat for a prayer before the NASCAR race, but is not a super faithful attender. It's those people who have had those last connections to the Christian faith. There's, there's just Those are the people that have been slipping out into no religion. And again, back to that CNN article, no matter how you slice America demographically, in every category, men and women, every generation, every geographic area, every shade of politics, and every, no matter how you group Americans, every group is becoming less Christian and more no religion. So I take it that the Catholic story in the Washington Post finds a parallel in non-Catholic churches. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, these are these are trends that are way bigger than any denomination. This is a, a societal trend in all of America. Yeah. So it's a great art. In the article notes that they touch base with a couple other research groups. It's a very informative article, no matter what your background is, even though the, the specific data here is from Catholic parishes. The Post story cites Scott Thuma of the Hartford Institute for Religion Research. What did he have to say? Yeah, what I really liked about what he brought to this was he brought some really hard numbers that I think are very interesting for people to note. So the first thing that he noted was what we've just been talking about. You know, this is across the board. These numbers that you're seeing in the Roman Catholic Church, they're basically in every denomination. But I think a lot of your listeners, I, I, I mean, I wonder if you're listening on the podcast, pause and write down your answer. What do you think the average size of a church is in America? You know, when you think of a church, because so often what I find is that people tend to think, well, I go to an average church, right? This is kind of like everybody thinks they're middle class, right? So you ask somebody, what's a middle class income? And they always say a number around their own income. What's an average church? Well, the average church in America has 65 people in worship. That's average. So if you go to a church with 100 members, you're in a, a much larger than average church. So 65 people on, on a Sunday. And the, what do you think the average budget for that church would be? 65 people in worship. What does that church have to spend on their ministry in a year? And uh, according to this guy, and, and again, this, this comports very strongly with what I see in Missouri Synod congregations, $120,000 a year. So about $1,850 per attendee. Um, now, obviously, attendees, uh, many of them are children. So the average family is giving you know more than $1,850 a year. But th that kind of gives you a ballpark figure. You know, If you're a lay leader in your congregation, if you're involved in making budgets, if you're involved in directing the ministry of your church, there's a, a nice benchmark look at your attendance, your average attendance, and take that times 1,850. And 
Is that about your budget? Is, is your church more generous than that? Uh, less? It's nice to see those numbers out there in the public eye, because again, I mean, we kind of have those numbers for our denomination, but it's kind of hard to say how average is that. It's a neat article for for a lot of reasons, but that was one stat that Scott Thumer brought up that I thought was uh, was a good one to know for lay leaders. Well, something else that Thuma says is a prediction that 30% of congregations will close over the next two decades. We'll find out if Pastor Heath Curtis agrees next. Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. IssuesETC.org slash 2023 nominations. Does this sound like your church budget process at the end of the year? You get last year's budget and go through with a committee line by line, maybe what we should spend next year. Maybe you have a prayer. But where's the word of God in this process? When do the people hear what the small catechism says about giving and why we do it? Contact us at LCMS Stewardship so that we can help you fix this process Put the Word of God first and put your congregation on a good fitting. LCMS.org stewardship. Your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview. You're listening to Issues Etc. We often hear that all of Holy Scripture is written about Christ, but do you know where to find Him in books like 1 Kings? If you would like to deepen your knowledge of Christ in Holy Scripture, join the Concordia Bible Institute on February 18th at Pilgrim Lutheran Church in West Bend, Wisconsin, as the Reverend Doctors Brian Gurman and Harold Tomish of Concordia University, Wisconsin, present a seminar titled Christ in the Old Testament. To register, call our office at 262-334-0375 or visit concordiabible.org. Greetings, fellow Lutherans. Ad Crucem has an amazing number of new products on the website. Come and see our new Sunday School or Confirmation medallions featuring the six chief parts and Luther's seal. Browse our stunning incense burners and their engraved solid wood boxes. Purchase Kathy and Kelly's beautiful new jewellery for your beloved for Valentine's Day or order some personalised stickers for your church or school. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Here is a little on the hymn, The King of Love, My Shepherd Is, from the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February, Eternal Anthems, The Story Behind Your Favorite Hymns, Volume 2. Following in the tradition of fellow Englishman Isaac Watts and before him Martin Luther, Baker, Henry Baker, the author of the hymn, parts company with the strict versification of the Psalter advocated by Calvinist tradition to present a paraphrase of Psalm 23 that allows for the poetry of the English language and more importantly, emphasize Christ and the gospel in the psalm. In Baker's setting, the rod and the staff of the psalm become the cross of Christ. The overflowing cup becomes the chalice in the sacrament of the altar. The psalm's shepherd becomes the good shepherd, Jesus, in John 10. Find out more about Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, volume 2, 
at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and order it, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. We're discussing a Washington Post story on donations to Catholic parishes post-pandemic. Pastor Heath Curtis is our guest, coordinator of stewardship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Before the break, Heath, we were talking about Scott Thuma's observations that are recorded there in that Washington Post piece. He also predicts that 30% of congregations will close over the next two decades. Do you agree? It's hard to see how he's wrong. I'll give you another one, Todd, that came out this this past week. I'm looking at a chart now, and this is from the, the CES 2020. Was from the community something survey, I forget what the E stands for, the CES 2020. And it's the age distribution of Protestant traditions. So have you seen this yet? I have not. Oh, good. We're going to play a guessing game with you. Okay. What percentage of Lutheran Church Missouri Synod members have had their 55th birthday? What do you think? What's your gut feeling? I would say... Upward of 50%. I'm I'm hedging my bets a little bit. Yes, you are. A lot upward. 68% of LCMS members are 55 or older. 68%. The United Methodist Church, it's 66%. The Episcopal Church, it's 62%. Presbyterian Church in America, it's 56%. In the ELCA, it is 59%. So, yeah, and you can kind of just go go all the way down. Now, now part of this is Gen X is a lot smaller than the baby boomer generation. So part of this is simply those generations. So baby boomers and uh, the kind of greatest generation, silent generation, those generations are simply bigger uh, simply more of those people than there are in the Gen X, Millennial, Gen Z. But then the percentages in those younger generations that go to church are so much smaller. So that's going to be a huge challenge, huge challenge for every denomination going through those next two decades. Now, his prediction of 30% of congregations will close Uh, I don't know about that. I think that is going to become a lot more specific to denominations. So, for example, what's the Roman Catholic Church going to do when this kind of demographic wave crashes on them? Well, given their polity, so like right now, you know, you and I live in the St. Louis metro region. And so right now on the news, We're hearing all kinds of stuff about how the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of St. Louis is going through another round of closing schools and combining parishes. So the Roman Catholic Church has one advantage of their polity is that they can be forward looking and their hierarchy can provide a lot of leadership and direction. Okay, compare that to the Southern Baptist Convention, which has a a radically congregational, independent what's their closing is going to look like? Well, it won't look like the Roman Catholic Church that can be proactive and combine and close and, and so forth. Then the Missouri Synod is somewhere in between. And what the Missouri Synod really has going for it is that we build multi-generational institutional ministry, right? That, that we're very good at that. Whereas evangelicals tend to talk about 
if you talk to evangelical church planters, they'll just tell you that a congregation has a life cycle. You can expect a congregation to last six years, 70 years, and then you really need to do a restart. You really need to close it down and, and redo it. And that, that's their model for ministry. Well, it ain't our model, right? We, we build churches that are there to be multi-generational institutions. So I don't think 30% of our parishes are going to close. I think for Roman Catholics and Southern Baptists, it might even be a higher number, but it'll be more of a tragedy for Baptists than it will for Roman Catholics, because Roman Catholic churches is built to look ahead and be proactive. Southern Baptists aren't. The Missouri Synod, somewhere in between. So that's a very back-of-the-envelope prognostication. Um, And the thing about the future is we actually don't know how it's going to turn out. But the demographic numbers for all of American Christianity, yes, they're very serious. So given that data, and just in terms of age, it shouldn't be surprising. Who is giving in most congregations? Well, there you go. The, the people with the most capacity and most financial capacity, of course, tend to give the most. You're at the height of your earnings when you're in your late 50s into early 60s, maybe right before retirement. So right now, that's the trailing end of the baby boomer generation. And now Gen X people are, are getting to their 50th birthday and so forth. So yeah, we are currently going through the largest generational wealth transfer in human history. I mean, obviously, you know, we're the most technologically advanced society in human history. We're the richest society in human history. And now we have these two big generations who will be handing over what they've acquired. And so these changes are going to come at us fast and furious. I do think Mr. Thuma is correct that the next two decades are going to see a whole lot of changes. So yeah, denominational leaders and lay leaders of local congregations need to be thinking about yeah, what does our church look like in 10 years? What does our church look like in, in even in 20 years? Now, that gets hard to predict. But if you think about it in 10-year chunks, and pastors, I mean, pastoral leaders, I mean, we have to think about this, and every pastor does. You know, you look at your congregation on Sunday morning, you know, you see a lot of really active, faithful members who are 70, 75 years old. Well, how many of them are going to be called to glory before their 85th birthday? certainly for their 90th birthday. Leaders do have to plan on that kind of time scale, and doing the ostrich maneuver and sticking your head in the sand is not going to be a good idea. I have heard that giving during the pandemic wasn't bad because many parishioners tithe the percentage of their pandemic government windfall to their congregation. Is this true? And if it is, since parishioners are no longer receiving those government funds, has this impacted congregational giving? I mean, it certainly has. I mean, again, if the way you described it, if that's true in your congregation, that, that people were so well catechized on the biblical pattern of giving that when they received some income that they weren't expecting, that they gave an intentional first fruits generous proportion of that income to their church, they tithed on that. I mean, I think that church is going to be fine. Because if your people are giving in that biblical model of when I get income, I give a faithful, first fruits, generous proportion of that income to the church. And based on the whole biblical model, how could you call it generous if it was less than a tithe? If that's what a congregation knows and believes and acts on, that congregation is very well set up to weather the storms that are coming at us in the next 10 to 20 years. If, on the other hand, in those congregations, maybe where people are not as well catechized on this point, 
or they're just faithful, godly people. They want to do the right thing. They got a windfall and they, you know, they gave a chunk of it to church, but now they're back to their old giving habits, which is not proportional giving of their income in a faithful, generous way. Well, that's, yeah, that's going to be tough on them. I think the pattern is really set on the, on how people have been taught to follow the biblical model or not. And I think the pandemic dollars, I mean, Todd, in one sense, right, we're all paying that back through inflation now, but this gets a little bit beyond my expertise and your expertise, you know, in macroeconomics. But I think it's fair to say that if you just dump a pile of money into an economy, yeah, inflation's coming. Do we know, is philanthropy down overall? Yes and maybe are my answers. Yes, it's down if you're looking at giving to religious institutions. Then the answer is yes. A century ago, basically, the vast majority of charitable giving was through churches. Today, there are a lot of competitions for those charitable dollars. And this goes to a lot of the stuff that, that I talk about in the uh, stewardship workshops that I do as my work for coordinator for stewardship for the synod. If you want your congregation or your, your ministry, if you're at a, an RSO or some other ministry, whether it's a college or issues, et cetera, whatever your ministry is, and you want people to give significant gifts to that, if, if you want people with significant capacity to give to you, you need to demonstrate that you are a faithful steward of financial resources. Because if I'm a person with a lot of financial capacity, and I look out at the world and I see that my church argues about money, they, they always pass budgets that are in the red, or this other ministry out there, they just don't really have a plan for the future, then maybe giving money to the Red Cross sounds like a lot better idea. Because giving money to the Red Cross, I know they'll do a good job with it. I know they'll help people. And you know what? I know they won't fritter it away. So a big part of having good stewardship practices in your church is demonstrate it. Well, your faithfulness will be seen by others. And that faithfulness will encourage trust in what you're doing. And that trust will remove barriers to people being generous toward your ministry. Pastor Heath Curtis is our guest. We're talking about a Washington Post story on donations to Catholic parishes post-pandemic and its applications to non-Catholic parishes. How does he explain the same amount of giving with fewer people? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Pastor Peter Bender talking about his presentation at this year's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference at Concordia University, Chicago. I'm going to die. Every one of us is going to die. At the time of death, the Christian faces so many assaults. We think about the death of loved ones that causes, at times, unspeakable grief. We can be assaulted by the regret over the things that we have failed to do. We wonder about the future, what will happen to loved ones. Where shall we for refuge go? To Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. You can meet and hear Pastor Peter Bender making the case for a dying man's consolation Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. For more information, visit issuesetc.org. What is mental health? 
The February issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up this question of mental health with contributions from the LCMS Task Force on Mental Health, which is tasked with providing resources for Lutheran church workers to better care for their own mental health and those entrusted to their care. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Athanasius, Bishop of Alexandria in the 4th century, was known for boldly confessing Jesus Christ as both true God and true man. This is what we do at St. Athanasius Lutheran Church in Vienna, Virginia, just outside Washington, D.C., continuing this historic confession of our Savior, who died for us and now comes to us in word and sacrament. If you live in the D.C. area or just visiting, come join us. For more information, find us on the web, St. Athanasius Lutheran Church. Where doctrine is life. You're listening to Issues Etc. Come and experience firsthand by sitting down in classes and actually hearing professors. Coming to chapel, which is always the high point of the day, to hear the Word of God and to lift our voices in song. Issues Etc. regular guest Dr. Paul Grimm on why you should consider visiting Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Spend time talking to professors. I mean, there's not a professor here who will not be willing to to take time, whether it's after chapel during the coffee hour or just to come into one's study and, and sit down and talk for a while, to answer questions, to you know, help them to get a sense of, A, you know, do they want to be a pastor or a deaconess? And then B, is this the right place? And well, maybe C would be the question, is now the right time for them to make that decision? If you've contemplated the vocation of pastor or deaconess, contact Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, 1-800-481-2155, 800-481-2155, or send an email to admission at ctsfw.edu. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're discussing a Washington Post story on donations to Catholic parishes post-pandemic and possible applications to non-Catholic churches. Pastor Heath Curtis is our guest. So Heath, generally, how do you explain the same amount of giving post-pandemic, but from fewer people? Chiefly, I explain it by, you know, godly, faithful Christians, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. It's a great blessing to the church that the people who are very serious about their faith, who are not going to let pandemic hysteria chase them away from the church, that they see, oh no, my church has the same ministry to do in a more difficult environment. Those people have doubled down on their faith. They've been godly, faithful Christians. We should say thank you to them in our churches. Thanks be to God, because it takes financial resources to conduct Christian ministry. So thanks be to God for these faithful people. On the other hand, what a tragedy it is that the smoldering wick and the bruised reed are having a really hard time in our society, and it would behoove pastors and lay leaders to think about that kind of ministry and outreach to the smoldering wick, to the bruised reed, who are being chased away from the faith by things that are out there in our culture. Like I said, it it might be, I think there are different seasons in the history of the church. Outreach in third century Rome is probably a little different than outreach in 16th century Germany and and different than today and different than in 1950. It may be a focus of our missionary efforts right now need to be shoring up 
and reaching out and strengthening the the smoldering wick and the bruised reed among our fellow Christians. So you discussed a little bit of this in the larger context a few minutes ago, but the projected demographics for our church body look fairly bleak. Not as bleak as some, but still bleak. How would you describe them? Yeah. So again, the Missouri Synod United Methodist Church, Southern Baptist Convention, Roman Catholics, they're all experiencing similar demographic crunches. From 1980 until today, the Missouri Synod has lost just shy of one-third of its baptized membership. In the past three years, the Southern Baptist Convention has lost 1.1 million members. For the first time since Jamestown in 1607, fewer than half of Americans belong to a church. I can keep going. I, I do another presentation on all these demographic statistics and stuff. All of American Christianity is in this same boat. So we need to be planning at the congregational level and, and then up the chain from uh, to the, you know, beyond the parish ministries, the districts, the synod at large. And we need to take a deep breath and assess the reality of what these numbers are. And then we need to plan with that future in mind about how we can accomplish the ministries God has given us to do. So when I go out and give this presentation on the demographics, I started off by saying, I'm not chicken little. I'm not going to stand here and say the sky is falling, but I'm not Pollyanna either. Not everything is going to be hunky-dory. It's going to take prayer and work. It's going to take being faithful to the mission that God has given us, and it's going to take good old-fashioned hard work to provide for the ministry for our children and grandchildren. What lessons should we take away from the study by the Center for Church Management? Again, one thing I would like all pastors to take from this is make sure to say thank you to your people. Make sure to let your people know that you are thankful for their sacrificial generosity. I think we miss this sometimes. You know, St. Paul was, was very upfront in writing to the Philippians and saying, you know, I thank God for you. I thank God for your generosity. I thank God for your partnership in the ministry. I thank God for the hard work that you're doing. I think especially amongst you know, evangelical Christians who believe in salvation by grace alone, sometimes we have a hard time saying thank you to our people out of, out of I think, a misplaced fear that we're going to make little Pharisees if we tell people thank you for doing good works. But I, I think that's very misplaced. And, and I'll close with this Bible verse from Matthew 19, after the apostles, you know, they come to Jesus and, and well, Jesus, this is all the... Uh, you know, harder for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle. And then Peter says, well, Lord, what about us? Right? We, we've given up everything to follow you. And if you're a good evangelical Christian, you're a good grace alone Lutheran, I bet you expect Jesus to say, Peter, no, you haven't. You haven't, you know, you, you, you're an unworthy servant if you've even only done your duty. And in your heart of hearts, you know you haven't done your duty. But that's not how Jesus responds. Jesus says to Peter, he comforts him. He acknowledges, yeah, you have given up a lot. But he says, hey, listen, everybody who's given up lands, money, family members for my sake is going to receive all of that back and a hundredfold more. So Jesus comforts him 
and says, yeah, your sacrifices are worth it. So I, I think pastors need to bring that message to their faithful, godly people. Thank you for your faithfulness. Your sacrifice is worth it. The Lord's going to keep his promises. What we do here in this church is important. So good job. I think our faithful people need to hear that. What can you tell us about LCMS Stewardship? So we focus on helping pastors and lay leaders meet this reality, this harsh reality that we've just talked about. So if you'd like to get in touch with me and arrange a stewardship workshop or one of these demographic workshops for your congregation and circuit, it's very easy to contact us, stewardship at lcms.org. So that's all you got to remember. Get in touch with us and we'll, we'll give you a hand. Learn more about LCMS Stewardship at lcms.org slash stewardship, lcms.org slash stewardship. Pastor Heath Curtis is pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Warden, Illinois, and Zion Lutheran Church in Carpenter, Illinois, and he's coordinator of stewardship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Heath, thanks for the time. Thank you, Todd. We'll be talking with Dr. David Reardon of the Charlotte Lozier Institute about a new study on coerced abortions and the mental health effects next. Abide with me, crown him with many crowns, hark the herald angels sing. Have you ever wondered why our beloved hymns were written? The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February is Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. This new resource includes background on 50 hymns, Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Save the date. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky, with visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Look for more information in early 2023 at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Lutheransforlife.org. Continuing education for the confessional Lutheran. You're listening to Issues Etc. Is your child struggling at school? Are you thinking about homeschooling? Would you like help knowing what to teach and how to teach it? The Simply Classical Curriculum from Memoria Press provides an enriching, step-by-step classical Christian education for students who have autism, learning or behavioral difficulties, ADHD, and more. You'll find everything you need, including daily lesson plans to guide your way. Learn more at simplyclassical.com. Use LPR23 to save on your order. Simplyclassical.com. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook. facebook.com slash lutheracademy.